you know, of China. So that was, that was a great name, Huala One. When I heard that, it's like, yes, this is what we need. <laughs> yeah. This is something people might want. And it's a national symbol um, as well, the dragon. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100% renewables. That's really a way to say 0% nuclear. And 100%, <laughs> right, 100% new renewables is not an energy policy. That's a campaign position. Welcome to this episode of Afrinut Podcast. Um, I am today joined with um, Jeremy Gordon. He's a long-term um, friend and um, very close associate. I have been um, collaborating with for a very long time. He's one of the founders of the World Nuclear News and World Nuclear Association. He's uh, a very um, key partner in nuclear issues globally. Been in touch with him and he has been working on um, communications he has a company called Fluent in Energy. He has been using to um, communicate pressing issues on nuclear energy globally. Jeremy grew up and was educated in London, earning a bachelor's degree in artificial intelligence from University of Westminster and graduating with honors in year 2000. You are sure going to get inspired by the great camaraderie he exudes while he takes us through his journey in the nuclear industry, bringing us great highlights and how nuclear technology should be closer to human rather than appealing to the technical jargons. So today, we are going to be having a very interesting um, episode with him. So, Jeremy, can you... Tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you do. I know I've explained a little about your company, but um, you can tell us a bit more about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Jeremiah. It is great to be with you and to link up again. Um, so you've already said quite a lot about me, but I would sort of summarize myself as a uh, you know, communicator in the nuclear industry. And the thing that kind of really motivates me is enabling people of the industry to communicate better. So my my kind of logic there is that nuclear industry is actually very small. It has a, a very small sort of industrial footprint. It doesn't have all that many workers and it doesn't have plants in every neighborhood. So it really needs every single person that's involved in the technology to be able to talk about what they do and why they do it in like a relatable way um, and help to build up uh, general trust in the community and with more and more sort of communities around to kind of spread that kind of trust and understanding. That's the kind of thing that I work on. And as he said, um, my, my background is basically as a journalist. Uh, I worked on Nuclear Engineering International magazine for a couple of years and then I joined the World Nuclear Association and I did more journalism for them within the industry so I was kind of the founding editor of World Nuclear News and I was writing stories for WNN every single day for many years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. sounds like a very deep source of information. Like how were you churning out those content every day? <laughs> oh, it was like, um, it was really like a factory. We had a, a, a well-oiled machine to... Wow. Um, to we were very good at listening what was going on. We were getting all the press releases. We were looking at what was covered in the newspapers and, you know, listening to what people are saying on social media. And then we would pick what we would write that day. There were usually two or three of us working on the news on any given day. So we would uh, assign ourselves one or two stories each. And then we have to go out and get the original information 
from, you know, from the companies, the organizations involved, do whatever background research or whatever calls are required to make sure we actually understand what we're talking about, um, and then write it up. So we could normally do, you know, at least one a day each. Yeah, but if they were short or kind of easy, we could even do two. Wow. Um, wow. So we were just smashing that out every single day and getting it ready by about 4 p.m. Took about half an hour to assemble the email and fire that out to like 25,000 people or something. Oh my god! So that, was, that, that was that was my life for quite a long time. That's great. That looks like a very great task. Anyway, uh, I wanted to like um, you talked about the small footprint of people involved in nuclear, and um, inarguably, nuclear also provides small carbon footprint. So, like a very good um, complementary word, if I may say so. But I mm. have recently been following your activities on the social media, and you tend to be advocating for. Uh, designs better designs like not just designs but what we name um uh, nuclear power plants maybe or maybe the ways that people tend to like uh, accept the name or what it is called mm. or how it is designed although <laughs> yeah. yeah the nuclear industry is a bit more traditional and like very technical they just go straight to the point and just turn it out that way the way it looks like they don't want to like paint it any better or any like in any way like appealing right. to the general public you know i yeah. remember like uh in nigeria you know uh, there's this soap called sunlight soap when it came out newly it used to come in a very beautiful yellow pack you know and uh, it's a it's a unilever product and at that time when i was very young i used to think it's a biscuit like cookie you know so <laughs> I, I, get, <laughs> I get attracted to it because of the color of the packet and when i get close to ah my parents would say no leave it it's cook it's 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 soap it's a soap it's not a cookie you know <laughs> but I, I am attracted because of the color and the appealing um design like the way it is packaged you get so uh, recently, you've been talking about this issue on nuclear, though the SMRs are coming up as a good alternative and uh, uh, should yeah. be more appealing to the public. But I think it's very important um, since you've started talking about it for the people that are making these new designs to take it cognizance of the importance of uh, uh, of um, of um, having to either name them or so. Can you just tell us a bit about? Like the, the, the things surrounding the new designs, the designs and how to communicate or how to actually brand, if I may say, uh, nuclear, nuclear technology or nuclear power in general. Yeah, uh, well, you've, you've really touched on something that gets me excited, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, something that's a bit of a problem for the nuclear industry is that it's always talking to itself. Wow. It's always talking to itself about its own, its own issues. Hmm. And, you know, it's right that there should be a lot of exchange of experience and so on between different countries and all the different parts of the industry. But that's all good. I wouldn't try to take away from that. Um, but another factor of the nuclear industry is that, you know, there is a public interest in it. It's not going to stop. So everything the nuclear industry does really sort of has a, has a public interest. And the public do look at, at what we're doing. And but we don't really recognize that. We don't build that into the way we the way we communicate and the way we, this is the real issue, the way we name things sometimes, yeah. the issue you're talking about. So we come out with, um, you know, you could have a new reactor design. It could be the greatest thing ever, like really amazing advantages. And, you know, it has an acronym for a name. It's going to be called the like, 
you know, the MPR 1200 or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and what does that mean? It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It might mean yeah, like modular like Korean power reactor. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's, <laughs> how how is that good? It's it's not a good name. It's not a good name at all. And um, so you. But at the same time, we're asking communities to host this thing and to you know cherish it, to want to work there, yeah. and you know to invest in it for a hundred years uh, can't we come up with a slightly better name than an npr you know 1200 mm-hmm. i mean what, a good example is you know some years ago in the 60s and the 70s uh, the uk and france collaborated to design uh, a supersonic plane right yeah and you know this thing it's called concord and yeah, it Concord, used to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a beautiful and amazing piece of engineering, right? Yeah. Um, it was just, it was just absolutely magic. But you know, if the nuclear industry designed that, it would have been called like the the supersonic plane two thousand, something <laughs> like that. It would have been called the SP two thousand. <laughs> it would have been all right. It still yeah. would have been an amazing plane. But you know, the name Concord, yeah, and actually, you know, it's a it, it, it has a lot of benefits to it. it. It's a word that makes sense in English and in French. And it means, you know, a collaboration and an agreement, which the two countries have done. Yeah. And it even has, it's, it sounds like kind of regal. Yeah. And first class, you know? Yeah, it it's does. It's got that quality about it. Yeah. And it even has like a double consonant it's like concord right yeah yeah and concord it's so well (laughs) it used used to make a double sonic boom right that's what it would sound like if you're in the ocean and it went over it went it's even got that building so you know what why can the nuclear industry not do that why Mm. can we not do that um so they nearly did it in china where they they had the they kind of brought their designs together for the Hualong One reactor, yeah, and Hualong means dragon, right? In China, which is you know very kind of prideful, powerful symbol, you know, of China. So that was that was a great name, Hualong One. When I heard that, it's like yes, <laughs> this is what we need. Yeah. This is something people might want, and it's a national symbol um, as well, the dragon. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but now I see they don't refer to it as that anymore. They call it HPR. 1000 oh, <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone backwards again wow. so that, that, that's something that kind of agitates me but I, I'm you know it's in a way it's trivial nuclear has more you know more serious things to be doing than working on these names but yeah, at the same time when we spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions designing these things and they're going to last for a hundred years it it's a symbol of our kind of laziness of our social license that we don't invest you know just a little bit of a tiny little marketing project to come up with a good name yeah but we we can see though that the the small reactor vendors are much more tuned into this true and they have um yeah much better names like you know oclo and uh you know uh, new scale and so on 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super super cool names, by the way. I I wonder like what's the next. Although uh, Egypt is already licensing their 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 new build, I wonder what the next iterations in other countries in Africa and perhaps in Europe and other parts of the world will like adopt to to name their reactors to make it more appealing to the public. So uh, this brings me like although we've touched a little bit about it. Um, uh, and uh, on how the the public will take this technology and and own it as their own, make it more welcoming. Uh, this kind of takes me to the next point I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the the fate of nuclear technology. Uh, like every other energy sources, uh, I I believe <clears throat> like the solar, the wind, and other renewable sources, and other more traditional like fossil and thermal plants. Kind of have an oscillating way of um, uh, of um, remaining in vogue, kind of. So, well, uh, the nuclear industry as well is subject to fluctuations, and uh, the current state is not too favorable for the industry. So, I wonder, what do you think is is the is the future? Is there any hope? And like, because I was listening to one YouTube video about the career prospect of a nuclear engineer. It's like negative. Other 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 engineering like like mechanical uh, chemical engineering data science and they're like in the next 10 years it has a kind of positive in the index of um, the prospect but the one for nuclear is like negative like what do you think really that wow that's disappointing (laughs) i just hope that's that's not going to be true i I doubt that is, is reality it's disappointing to hear people talk like that I mean, well, it's difficult. I, I kind of count uh, nuclear technology as a, a huge missed opportunity so far. It's only supplying 5% of energy globally. and really should be doing a lot more than that. So I hope that kind of our generation can, you know, can seize the, the opportunity that it represents and make the best use of this amazing tool that we've, that we've kind of inherited because the need for it is is enormous now. We have to change the entire energy system. And there's there's room for every technology. This is not to say the renewables can't do a lot. They're going to do a huge amount because they're getting so cheap and they're so quick to install. There's, there's a huge opportunity for nuclear to do a lot as well. Um, I would say there's big opportunities for people studying nuclear energy. You know, particularly in Africa, where there will be, you know, in a small minority, they, they have huge opportunity to become a leader in their country. That's that's but, so hopeful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd say e- even if they get if they get that um, they get that qualification, even if they don't end up working in nuclear because you know whatever happens in life or in the industry, you know, an engineering degree and physics means you know technical problem solving and it means you know being able to analyze a problem and solve them from sort of first principles it probably means computer programming stuff like that which is all applicable to other technical areas as well so i I would absolutely recommend to them as a great thing to be doing all right that's great. I, I sincerely appreciate the answer. And you know, I just w- uh, wish I was clever enough to do it. That's the <laughs> <only thing. laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, being able to communicate this is it's high. I mean, it's it's already uh, uh, it's a great um, treasure to 
to to let people know what um, it means to to have this and, and you know uh, many african countries you. are sending a lot of their citizens to different um uh developed parts of the world to to learn the the science and the and the different aspect of nuclear engineering and technology so that's a that's kind of um a sign of a good future if i may say <laughs> i think what i think what we need is um well you know we we need lots and lots of engineers of different kinds to solve all the all the problems in the world right yeah um but i think the people who can be super super powerful have that kind of engineering base perhaps but they also have maybe built into their studies or in their life experience they also have a kind of a social or kind of creative view as well yeah and so if that's possible in um your engineering courses to take a bit of sociology a bit of uh, communication or yeah. so business nuclear yeah, industry needs like a people who are better at business <laughs> yeah innovation you know yeah. so that we can really take it forward as well as just doing engineering 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 yeah. which we're already good at you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I I kind of feel very um, privileged to be talking with you because you live in a country where they are constructing um, uh, the nuclear power plants. Uh, that should be the, the, there's a Sizewell and then there's the Hinkley Point C, right? The Hinkley Point uh, yeah, C is yeah, the yeah. one under construction, mm-hmm. and the Sizewell is still under deliberation, right. right? Exactly right. Yeah, Hinkley Point C is doing really well. Okay, and we really want the government to make a move to help Sizewell happen. That's great. So uh, it brings me to the question, like some African countries are embarking on their first builds and um, coming from a nuclear country where you have the Magnus technology and those very wonderful, amazing uh, technology that has been proven and uh, is well established in the UK. Uh, I wonder, like, what kind of lesson and what kind of points do you think the newcomer countries should to actually hope all their hold up their sleeves like when they are coming up on board like when the decision makers are making their decision or during the construction or at different stages like maybe from your um, experience or what you've learned yeah, yeah. what do you think I would should you see that from you know as an english guy sitting here in london yeah. to share what i've seen happen i would say that african countries you know they do really need to be realistic about how difficult this is so hmm. to look at to look at the UK you could say you know we've been using researching nuclear since you know the 1950s we're able to design two generations of our own reactor you know from scratch and using them all this time um, but still when our government in 2006 I think decided okay let's get serious about nuclear it's still taken all this time to get to the point of of building new reactors um so it's and it was a serious challenge to get all the skills and manufacturing ready and um get the regulation kind of upgraded and maintain the kind of um, levels of skills it wasn't a challenge so much of getting the skills in it was a challenge that people with the skills were retiring so we had to kind of pass them on but that was a big challenge. So to think, you know, even kind of an experienced nuclear country takes that long to do it. Yeah. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. Um, but that brings me to my second observation, which is like, the, the key thing that helps the uh, nuclear sector to thrive is solid government support. You need this like ongoing, clear policy. And it's not always like lots and lots of money. 
needs to be uh, provided. But this clear policy where the country is going in a certain direction and the rules are set up to create a, a market for nuclear so that it can work. And that's kind of one reason why the UK ended up taking so long is of the market we wanted where the government did not want to own anything nuclear. Okay. So, yeah. So, so if it that's had, because... Yeah. So if it had opened so, uh, the door for private investors earlier, it would have been a bit um, more quickly achievable. Is yeah. that what you're saying? It's kind of, well, the private investors, the, the interest wasn't quite there because there's a lot of risk in, in construction, in the construction okay. phase. Okay. Because it could get could go on too long, could get quite expensive. So you need a kind of a, a, a team effort where the government is going to do what it can to mitigate that risk or even take a share of that risk. And that, we hope, is what's going to happen for Sizewell. It will have a kind of a financial deal of its own. Uh, and it's that quite sounds- likely that the, that that the government will sort support the construction and then once it's built and running sell its stake to the private sector okay okay that yeah. sounds interesting because um uh, recently I, I read over the news there's a company in nigeria transcorp energy that is trying to um like uh make a very strong move to getting a reactor uh, uh, a nuclear power plant uh-huh. for, for Nigeria. So it, it's, it came as a surprise to me. And um, you saying that having private investors, like, because government don't want to, like, take the financial responsibility, that's like, mm-hmm. uh, and like making a very strong um, um, position, like, in support of the move by that private company. Because um, even right now in Nigeria, some oil companies um, multinational companies like shell chevron are already moving out of the country perhaps because of the the new energy in the in the in the future so uh, they are like giving over their assets and um, and um, whatever they have they've owned in nigeria to some local companies so uh, perhaps right. if these companies have been in the business like uh, uh, since the outset it would have been a, a, an easy transition if i may say and the government will not have so much trouble managing managing these assets when these um, multinationals leave so yeah 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 right i mean yeah. if, if if any source of energy energy is such an important thing to a country yeah. it's part of like you know you can't have much economy without energy right yeah and um you know you know right now security of energy is super important so really the government has to government of any country needs to you know, to have an ongoing involvement in anything of uh, national strategic value. Yeah. Nucle- nuclear is no different. If the government says, oh, you know, private industry have to do it on your own, it's not really going to happen. You need yeah. the sort of investors, the government and the vendors of the reactors to... Yeah. Yeah. That's like a tripod on which it's possible to build yeah, some. That's, yeah, yeah, the tripod. That's, yeah. Like, that's a very great one. Yeah. 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 So, so I hope, I, hopefully, with smaller reactors, the sums of money come down, and it it gets it gets more, you know, just easier all around to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to like um, talk to you about the the new the the, the COP twenty six that is coming up and um, the low carbon um, advocacy that is going around and the climate um, um, issues going around and how it's um, connects with nuclear. You know, nuclear seems to be very versatile. And it lends itself very, very in a very robust way to any low carbon requirements uh, of, mm-hmm. um, for energy or for anything it supplies. But uh, it is always not considered, especially by the international body, uh, 
I, I don't know like do you think this is sheer bad luck or kind of like a happenstance uh, what, what do you think should be done to actually because this recognition is needed for countries and 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 people to begin to actually um, make conscious active steps to adopting this energy resource i know it's not just a normal thing you should you can just go and pick up in the market i know it's a long thing especially from mm-hmm. experienced countries but i think there need to be uh, an international recognition of this energy resource or people are just like looking for a quick fix i don't know so what do you think yeah. can be done to bring this to the fore well, you know being a, being an expert in communications i know you must have um, had cause to defend <laughs> this <laughs> It's it's been a big problem for years, really. That nuclear has been ignored on these stages, okay. um, but but I, there's so much change going on now. Um, and w- what I it, what I think we need to do is actually what what I see that we are doing, which is actually turning up at these events, actually mm-hmm. turning up with some with some resources mm-hmm. and making nuclear known. In these areas, uh, and the door is being opened by some of the international organisations, like the International Energy Agency, um, has changed its wordings and the way it talks about nuclear to be more inclusive. It started talking about nuclear more um, with with um, with, uh, with with the new head of the, of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Mr. Grossi. He is. Uh, speaking more strongly in favor of nuclear as well um, and this this current COP meeting the one that's going to take place in the UK at the end of the year is a great opportunity because the UK is a pro-nuclear organization a pro-nuclear country yeah uh, and the government has a strong kind of pro-nuclear stance at the moment so it provides a great um, platform to just represent nuclear in a positive way and that has been denied to nuclear for many years at these events and the the kind of effort by industry to turn up has always been disappointing so we need to be basically taking advantage of every chance we get to represent nuclear on these uh, international and inter inter stakeholder global stages um, as as they arise yeah. I think it takes a, a lot of investment that industry hasn't really been doing. Mm. But gradually it's changing. It's gradually yeah. it's changing. I mean, the people promoting renewables have basically had the ball for a long time. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing against renewables, which, you know, generate electricity that is clean and that we need. But a lot of the people supporting them, some of them campaigning for 100% renewables, that's really a way to say 0% nuclear. <laughs> and 100% right 100% renewables is not an energy policy that's a campaign position in favor of renewables and implicit in it is 0% nuclear wow. so uh, you know some of those people have uh, had the mic for a little bit too long and we're sort of getting our chance now so I, I see things moving in the right direction okay. but we just need it to accelerate and accelerate because you know if you believe what they say about climate change trying to get to net zero we really need um you know a flood of interest and investment and commitments towards nuclear in the next decade or so that's super cool like what a great insight you've given us you know i hope that maybe in glasgow you have some 
a group of people like with their <laughs> with their great um, uh, in their great numbers saying hey we need nuclear kind of <laughs> and thanks to the YGN and the work they are doing to yeah to I think we will the, <laughs> yeah the YGN has, has been doing really really well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's super nice okay so um I we're kind of winding down in this session and um I, I kind of admire how your career have gone and um, I wonder like people are interested and some people are not just interested but they are just wondering what is a nuclear engineering or nuclear energy related degree like like what are the prospects for me you know so do you have any kind of word like advice you want to give someone that is like on the on the fence about well, nuclear degree yeah. I mean, I'm not a um, I'm not a nuclear engineer, okay. but from what I from what I see, there are very few industries which are more committed to excellence than nuclear. So, if you want to be the best and work on the best stuff and take things to the highest level of precision, yeah, nuclear has got that right. And if you're interested in working internationally. And collaborating with people, all different sort of cultures and backgrounds, um, nuclear has that too. So it has enormous um, opportunities beyond just what you are doing, you know, with your computer on your desk. So I think it has a, a it, it, what it what it sort of gives to to good young engineers is, is kind of a world of opportunities. And very secure jobs that will last a long time. Now, I hope the industry is going to get bigger and bigger and contribute more and more. And yes. so we'll bring in more and more young people and just actually have a bigger and bigger role in fixing up planet Earth, you know? Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, uh, you at the start of the uh, of this episode, you talked about how you worked with the, the World Nuclear News and the World Nuclear Association. Like that tells me and kind of informs how great depth of knowledge and uh, like a high level of grit and ability to gather information on, on the nuclear world in general. Like you had to like uh, meet people and read um, news and try to connect the dots. And also being an editor, you, you are like, you have a knife, like you, you need to cut some <laughs> things and you also have to attach some things. I, I remember talking with a journalist. He said that every story is cut, is subject to the editor's knife or is it the right, is it yeah. a knife or the, the hammer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he, he tends to cut whatever, whatever works to get it done in time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he tries to filter up the, the necessary and the things. So can you like, Growing in this career and like coming up and having the fluent in energy and a company of your own you are running, like what has helped you to grow like in your career and what you are doing currently, loving what you are doing and having prospects and futures, like what has helped you to get to yeah. this level? Uh, some people might want to know I about this. Sir. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky, I think. And because I'm not, I'm not the world's best writer. And I'm not an engineer, but I'm somebody who um, I can understand enough of the technical issues to explain to other people what's going on. Okay. And I just so happen to be better at that than most of the engineers. That's great, thank <laughs> and, you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of does it, yeah. So that's, that's yeah. basically it. So I'm kind of 
always an intermediary between the engineers and the the other people who are interested in what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, you, you get the people who explain the engineering doing a better job than engineers themselves, you know, because if the people right, don't understand yeah. what you are saying, it's like, it's just for you alone, you know. <laughs> Engineer, engineers yeah. are like right, they're right into the detail and, yeah. you know, to, for them to do their work, they think about certain things, but that's not what it represents in the wider world always. Yeah, so true. sometimes I come along and I'm able to see that and put it in different terms yeah. and i've been really lucky that when i worked on the on the magazine nuclear engineering international and at the wna as well i was always meeting different people from every different company you could imagine and seeing all the different technologies and just kind of interrelating all those ideas and sort yeah. of seeing how they fitted together that was that was my sort of special skill i found that i could do that pretty well and people kind of liked my ideas <laughs> yeah so like, and what, what's yeah. the yeah that's really great like like oh, okay so going forward do you think like um there are better and new ways that y you will be doing it and maybe in the next 50 years if someone is coming up on on the same path as yours like do you think the person should do it differently from the way you did it or maybe uh, yeah wow. <laughs> you sounded ah Okay, well, I mean, so now I've, so I, I've got my own company now, Fluid in Energy, yeah. and it's me as a, as a consultant. And I'm really just trading mainly on the network that I built up in those other roles, the network and the knowledge. Um, so I'm in a kind of a fortunate position that I have a kind of a global network that, that's a, you know, I know people like you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm, and I'm able to get my bills paid by helping different people out. Um, what to do differently? Perhaps I've got a kind of a unique position, but I, I just really hope that the industry will keep increasing its diversity. And so different kinds of people from different backgrounds, as well as different kind of mindsets and different approaches and different um, kind of alternative and additional skills around the core engineering will keep coming in. So perhaps my message is, you know, if you're, you might be different from a classic engineering personality, you might be different from the sort of a scientific background. That doesn't mean there's not a role for you in nuclear. You can look around and you can probably complement this industry. And in doing that, you might really find that you are the one to catalyze it to achieve more. Wow. Thank you so, so much yeah. for this great insight. And um, lastly, Jeremy, you have come on this episode with great strength and sagacity, with um, unassuming voice and nature and also very, very much tacit and straight to the point. You've um, exuded great depth of knowledge on this field of nuclear and you've been a consultant, especially to some companies I know. Uh, you've communicated and um, you've made people understand what nuclear is you've also told us about how we should brand nuclear and make it more acceptable to the public although some technical things behind it may be running not too pleasant to the eyes but we need to make it more beautiful and more appealing mm -hmm. thank you so much for this great <laughs> insight <laughs> jeremy and um, this brings me to the last point like like trying to ask you do you have any last words for our audience because you've really touched on a lot of points and aspects anyone like one line of sentence to like give it a cap for this episode hoping that we will have more time with you in the future sir <laughs> we talked about a lot of things i just think the prospects for nuclear are 
absolutely immense. The, the promise of the technology is, remains humongous, and we yeah. haven't, um, haven't really even explored a, a tiny fraction of what it can do yet. Um, will it achieve all its possibilities? Like, I mean, I don't know, um, but it's going to be exciting to find out. And with good young people coming into the industry, there is a chance that it will play a huge role. Just creating the clean energy system and the kind of social conditions, all the environmental conditions that we want to see in this century. So, yeah, I just encourage everyone, like, keep trying. It's yeah. worth it. Thank you so, so much, Jeremy Gordon, for the time with you. It has been an exciting episode with you, and I'm hoping to have you on again on this podcast. Thank you immensely for the time with you. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremiah. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much. Jeremy.